0: Morning, brother, how you doing?
1: Good morning, very well. Um, happy New Year once again.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's already week one of or working week one of the new year finished. How is it for you?
1: Interesting, um, particularly because we're speaking about this process of starting new initiatives. Um, I have begun the process of uh, just forming, forming relationships, trying to understand the strengths and um, areas of development within the new organization that I'm in beginning that deep dive, so that's fascinating. Um, It's really interesting to see how that is still essential, even when you're in a worldwide pandemic and the government has said, everyone's in lockdown, that still needs to happen. So I'm I'm using technology and using any means possible just to meet key stakeholders and to find out who they are, to introduce who I am.
0: Interested. so I would say currently, I I like the way that you've captured your current role within the framework that we're discussing. I would say that in my life right now, I'm probably in two stages simultaneously. At work, I'm definitely in the norming stage, which is what we're gonna be talking about for today's episode. Mm -hmm. But at home, I'm probably in the storming stage, which is, I've recently got married and I'm now living with my wife. And we've been living together for the last month and a bit. And we are just butting heads in a lot of areas because we've come from completely different cultures, completely different backgrounds. And now we're trying to mesh to get to one agreed space. Yes. You know, what do you mean you? Use uh, a cloth to wash your dishes as opposed to a sponge. You know, <laughs> make sure you turn off all the lights in the house before you go to bed. Oh, I leave the lights on because I want someone to think I'm in. Yeah. Um, th- those types of things. Oh, you turn the microwave off at the switch so the clock doesn't come up. But that means I've got to reset the clock every time I want to turn the microwave back on. Or I appreciate that the clock on the microwave just doesn't make any sense. Now, that's not an example that I have to deal with but i'm just saying these are the types of things that you come across when you you mesh with with somebody else and i definitely ca- characterize that as storming um but if, i mean for you it's it's been c- quite significant because you started a new role you've gone through the forming stage and you you know developed relationships with a new team what's your main takeaway
1: i'd say from this week that that forming stage is continual for the time period it's it's not a week a week's worth of work Mm. and it's something which takes a considerable amount of time for people to understand who you are and it's important that you understand what you want them to see in you so Your your values. So one of my key values is integrity. Another one is like discipline and professionalism, and just aspiring for excellence. Now people will not acknowledge or infer that for a ninety minute meeting with you straight away. That takes a bit of time. So that message needs to be consistently over communicated at all times, and it's just really important to to make your message concise but repetitive and memorable, so that everyone can attribute you to what you wish to be attributed to, which is the culture which you wish for them to buy into eventually.
0: Agreed, and I think that's gonna be something that we talk about today, in terms of making that culture something that's cemented. But for anybody who's tuned in to this episode, thinking, what are these guys talking about? we have been uncovering the Tuckman model over the last two episodes, delving into how you start a new initiative effectively in 2021. A lot of us are looking at starting new jobs or you know, delivering efficiencies or delivering excellence in 2021. And what we wanted to do is provide you with a framework that you could follow in order to... To do that now, as is the way with expensive lessons, we just delve into it. Sometimes no chaser. Um, so welcome, welcome to expensive lessons. Uh, this is a podcast where company directors will share with you the lessons that they've learned over their entrepreneurial life, business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, journey, and we really hope that you gain some valuable insight from what we're going to discuss today. Um and that is all about delivering excellence or delivering a new project or a new initiative in the first episode in this series we talked about norming which is uh, sorry we talked about forming which is all about developing a team building a team or generating um, the resources that you need in order to deliver on the project and that can be quite challenging because you want to have the right skills in order to make sure that you can deliver the the right outcomes. Then we talked about storming in the last episode and as the name would suggest, this is a very conflict-driven, uh, very challenging phase because as you've brought in various different personalities, people with different disciplines and skill sets potentially, they now all need to work together and mesh. And many will have very different ways of understanding success. So your challenge in the storming phase is to encourage that conflict, to ensure that the right ideas bubble to the surface and the right understanding Permeates through the whole team. Now, in today's uh, episode, we're going to be talking about norming, and norming is the stage where you've gotten through the bulk of the conflict. You know, you'll never get over conflict in its entirety, but you're now at a stage where the team understands each other, they're gelling together, and they're operating comfortably within the framework or within the constraints of the project that you're trying to deliver. So, this is something which is quite a, what would the word be, high-level concept. So, what I want to do is almost bring it home with a couple of examples that might help you visualize it a bit more. So, Afalabi, I just want to ask you the question, really. Can you give us an example of a well-running team? A team that is is or has delivered business as usual, effectively, for a prolonged period of time?
1: Yes, and and I believe that many of us have experienced teams that we can almost refer to, which other people will not know, teams that we've worked with or alongside. Um, I'm gonna mention a few, one which the vast majority of you will not know of, and another which I think everyone will know of. Uh, One which people won't know of is a team which I recently left. It was a new senior leadership team, who had formed to take a school from special measures to meeting government standards of at least being a good educational provider. And in short, what they were able to do after a restructure was to identify the key characteristics and skills needed in every single position. And thus people had to reapply for positions necessary. The positions were condensed. So rather than having almost like a senior leadership team of a dozen, it was reduced down to five and within each position the person who led on that role clearly embodied what was necessary in terms of someone who was highly effective when it came to data numbers and strategies around gap analysis another person who was highly effective in terms of developing um, daily practices another person who was really good in terms of logistics another person who was great in terms of a front of house, culture setting and, and branding. And it, it worked, even though on many occasions they all despise one another. And I want to raise that example first because the closer you are to them, well, I was very close to them, I knew that many of them did not get along and they had fundamental disagreements on key aspects of what should be done. However, they all knew their role. And that is the key phrase. They knew their role. They knew their position. And they had bought into that unifying vision of what they were going for. They had the same goal. So although secretly and sometimes publicly, it was was clear that they despised one another, they were a unified team and a, a force to be reckoned with. Um, there, are, there are sporting teams throughout history of examples like that where you have two key players within a team who publicly dislike each other, but on the pitch, on the court, they are titans. Um, a, a public example, which I'd like to raise, is um, when I, I, mean, I were speaking about this earlier, many of the examples that we would want to almost refer to are sporting-based, football-based, but I know that we often lean upon that as an area of focus. I'll just take them back to Destiny's Child. Now, many of you will remember Destiny's Child from our childhood. Um, Destiny's Child were the little mix. They were the one direction, but on a whole nother level. They were huge. But what many people will not realize is that the last iteration of Destiny's Child was not the first iteration of Destiny's Child. Nope. (laughs) There, There had been a couple individuals, at least, who had to leave. And from memory, One of those individuals was actually one of the better singers, a a potential rival for a lead singer. But because of constant disputes and things not meshing, she had to go as did other members in the background in terms of management, which allowed a trio to emerge. A trio which we now know as Michelle, Kelly, and the woman who became Beyonce. If that storming period did not happen beyonce wouldn't be the beyonce that we know now it she needed the group needed certain individuals to fall away so one person led on each role well okay um there is a lot that i
0: can delve into there i just think that this is a really good example i think we're going to be going back to this destiny's child example on a on on quite a few occasions now that you've mentioned it. Now, the first thing I'll talk about is what you mentioned first, which is your personal experience working in a a well-organized, well-structured team. And the point that I want to encourage our listeners to think about, especially if you work within some sort of corporate organization, is that the landscape constantly changes and you may have to reapply for your own job. Yes. And... This is a great example to consider because we are currently in a global pandemic. We're currently experiencing one, and many companies are having to reorganize, including my own. And I spoke to my boss about that, and he, we had a conversation, and he said, "You are you're safe, Um, but next time you might not be." And what he meant by that is, in his experience, companies go through reorganizations every five to 10 years. Yes. And even people in very senior management positions are having to reapply for their jobs. My boss's boss had to sit down with a new CEO and state a case for why his role should still exist.
1: Yep.
0: So even in areas where you feel like you are in a well-oiled machine, there is this constant reforming that must happen. And as a result, the idea of norming or getting to a stage where you're well-performing again can, can be quite a, a, a challenging one. And there isn't an excuse or there isn't much leeway for not norming in a large business because you are always expected to deliver. So that transition period for from a new goal, a new objective, to delivering on that objective must be quite slim. It must be quite small. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is the Destiny's Child analogy. Because I think, very briefly, the reason why the T- Destiny's Child example works so well is because... You know from modern media the characteristics or the attributes of each team member. There are even now questionnaires online which say, or which ask you the question, are you a Beyonce, are you a Kelly, or are you a Michelle? (laughs) Yeah. So if you've gotten to a point where those roles are so well understood that they can be compared to something that you are doing in something completely unrelated then you know that the team must be functioning well because each role is so well-defined.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the question I have for you, Afalabi, based on your own personal experience or based on, based on your observable experience, what key qualities would you say a well-performing team must
1: possess or should possess? My, my immediate response goes back to the Calamy profiles, almost the Myers Briggs, the archetypes, the those perspectives of human characteristics. Um, I think it's essential that you have individuals who are almost introspective in driving deep reflection, in, in really, really, relentlessly thinking about how we do what we do. To just to explore marginal gains. That is crucial, the the do it right kind of person. Then you also need to do now, the person who is going to drive, irrespective of whether they're driving in the right direction. They're just gonna drive it, they're gonna push it. That person can galvanize, that person can be archetypally characteristic, um, charismatic. They can ensure that what is in place in terms of the action plan, in terms of the forecast for the year, are being driven for. But then you need the the other people who are going to remember that it's all about people. Um, The people who are focusing on the experience, the people who are focused on the the compassionate side of just welfare. And if you have those components, you should have a well-functioning team. Now, that's just focusing on characteristics. That's not necessarily focusing on... the the knowledge that that team will have. So it's it's crucial that within that restructure, their appointments are based on their knowledge, their historical performances and their their general skills. But as long as you have someone who is relentless in terms of of, of data, relentless in terms of daily practice and logistics, someone who is a visionary, who's able to actually see what isn't yet, but could be, someone who is highly focused on the team and can bring people together and can be that glue and someone who's really thinking about well, the compassionate side of the individual. If you have these components, you could have a well-drilled team. So
0: I, I want to tease a, a couple of points out of what you've just said. So we, we've spoken about forming. We've spoken about bringing people of those different, different characteristics. Um, different characteristics together um, but the reason why I think it has to be reiterated at this norming stage is because now we're not just talking about people with different characteristics coming into a team we're also talking about everybody in the team having clear understanding of everybody else's role and position yes and that's when you know you're in a norming, norming stage because everybody In the team knows the position that the other team members play. If we think about it when it comes to a football analogy, one that's quite a low level one, so I hope people follow me with this, we're now at a point where we don't have the goalkeeper trying to score goals,
1: (laughs) trying to take penalties. The
0: goalkeeper knows where they need to be. And at the storming stage, you are going to have goalkeepers trying to score goals. When we get to the norming stage, the goalkeeper knows that my job is to stop goals coming into this net. And his job is to score the goals. Now, one of the key characteristics of a really well-functioning team at this stage is there's a fluidity there which is not only do you know your own role well, but you also know the role of people who are adjacent to you well, which means if that person goes sick, if that person isn't around for a while, it isn't that difficult for you to step up and take on some of those responsibilities. There isn't a bottleneck within the team who is going to hinder the progress overall. Mm -hmm. Once again, if I pull out a football analogy, I'm sorry guys, if you're not following me, but I'm sure you are. If you're a midfielder and one of the defenders gets injured, you've been working with that defender long enough that you're able to step into their role. You may not be as good as they are at defending, but you can step into their role and cover their space while they're away. So that's the importance of a well-functioning team, all understanding their roles and responsibilities at this stage, I would say.
1: It builds um, resilience. Absolutely. We've seen instances where there are teams who do not have that, one because their roles are not clearly defined. So everyone is leading on something, but it's not very clear what they're leading on. Um, and no one knows, and no one answers questions because it's actually a racket. Um, but once you get to the point where it's clearly defined, and I believe that's why in the first um, anecdote I shared, there was that restructure just to reduce the number of individuals reduce the number of gatekeepers and chefs in the kitchen and ensure that each one who's going to remain has that clearly defined role and position that they're leading on and that they can be held accountable for by their peers and everyone else it's it's the first move towards success
0: absolutely and i i think Maybe one example to illustrate that is my my wife is a lawyer and my wife works on some quite high-profile programs. But there was one program where it called for some very specific skills which she hadn't trained for but she demonstrated. And as a result, my wife, who's a lawyer, ended up taking on project management responsibilities And this is an example of that forming piece where people are able to understand their skills and use those skills in an effective capacity to deliver the outcome.
1: One thing that interests me right now is is culture. I Mm. find that a, a lot of the time I'm thinking about culture and how culture is formed and What I'm leaning towards is culture is formed, irrespective of whether you're intentionally trying to form it or not, good or bad. And a good culture has that clarity in terms of roles and positions. A good culture has clarity in terms of succession and developing individuals. So yes, you might have those individuals in clearly defined roles, but who are they developing? Who are they trying to develop in terms of their own leadership? And a great culture is something which is, it permeates throughout everything which is done because of that clarity. Yeah. Now, um,
0: sorry, go ahead. Go for it. I was going to say, this brings me on to another point, which I think can be a bit more contested, especially based on the example that you just shared. But I think there is a level of enjoyment when you're in this stage, or well, at least there should be. Because if you are performing or if you are if if you are operating um at, at your 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 best because you're doing a role which you understand, which you feel like you're well suited to do and you're doing it well, then ideally you should be enjoying yourself now i'm I'm open to this being kind of ripped apart as an idea, but i I think at this stage. This should be one of the more enjoyable phases of delivering on a
1: project. This is the stage where people enjoy coming to work. Um, No one goes to work to do a bad job, or very few people intentionally. Um, At this stage, you've put all the square pegs in the square holes. Um, Mm -hmm. The people are in the right positions, whether that is inside the organisation or outside of the organisation. The people have a clear framework for what they're expected to do. The people are held accountable by that framework and their peers. There's that self-assessment, which is also available. And because of this, it allows them to pursue growth because there are clear targets. And you have people um, along you who are leading on other things, but are supporting you in what you're doing because you are part of that. You're all driving to that unifying goal. This is where happiness comes from, because there's growth. So if, if you know that you're not in, you're currently seeing or part of a team which isn't functioning and people are largely unhappy, yes, it might be because of aspects within their personal life, but it could also be because of the, the current structure within the organization itself. Has someone been let down by that structure? Are there support mechanisms in place? Are there accountability mechanisms in place? Is it time for actually people to review what's being done? I've seen it where because of a lack of... Because of the wrong people being in certain positions, others are having to carry that role, which means Mm. both parties are currently unhappy. The first individual is unhappy because they know that their role is actually secretly being fulfilled by someone else. And they are just waiting for that point in which they're just asked to leave. And the other person is unhappy because they're just currently being overworked they're carrying the burden of someone else and it is actually being acknowledged that they're carrying the burden of someone else but there's no either remuneration for it or there's just no acknowledgement that they might need greater capacity to fill this i know in the past that you've been in that position where you've had to continue doing a former role because they could not actually appoint someone to do it adequately
0: Absolutely. And for me, that demonstrates that you're not in a norming stage because ultimately you're still trying to form the appropriate team to deliver. Um, And I would would characterize that period as, first of all, very miserable, but also a period where I was simply surviving. Mm -hmm. I can't say that during that period I was doing the best work I was simply trying to keep things afloat Um, and it was very difficult because it constantly felt like I was firefighting. Um, As soon as I fixed one issue, it seemed like another issue just appeared. Um, But contrast to that, I would say when you're norming, you should be winning and you should be winning exponentially. So wins lead to more wins, which lead to more wins. it can be referred to as the Matthew principle or the Pareto distribution, which is the more you get, the more you get. Yep. Um, so one of the things that, that characterizes that norming phase is that things work well. And as a result of things working well, you're receiving more praise or more more notoriety, which leads to other things working well. Um, if I give you an example, um, working within my team, we were delivering insight across a a large business and when we were still in our um norming uh, sorry forming slash storming stage it was very difficult to get the business to follow our strategic advice however as soon as we had successfully um, led a project which increased the price of one of our products and made more money which is in some cases more in some cases unheard of when you increase the price of a product you expect the customer base to decrease we increased Mm -hmm. the price and increased our customer base and made more money at the same time that develops a level of credibility which made it so much easier to provide strategic insight in the future because we had a track record which meant that our conversations were lubricated by the fact that we've won. So mm. you, could, you if you don't want to listen to us, you don't have to, but know that we are a credible entity and that we know what we're talking about. That's so a major I, you know, win. That,
1: mm. that's, that's a major win. And it, it encourages me to encourage others to look for those quick wins in that forming stage quick wins in the forming and the storming stage to build credibility because remember you are new or and or this initiative is new so people are constantly trying to gauge whether you are suitable for the role that you're even in whilst you're reviewing the same thing for them and it, it also makes me think of i think it's matthew saeed in bounce who spoke about flow um which we see often in in sports sports incredible that you can have people who are in form and out of form um I remember Abby and I used to work with a man called uh, Conrad. And one of the phrases he often said was, class is permanent. Um, form is temporary, mm. class is permanent. And I thought, he's right. He, he didn't coin that phrase, but he was the first to introduce me to it. In sport, we see form often. People who are incredible lose form, regain form, which reminds us that it's largely psychological. And people like Matthew Said, I believe it was Matthew Said in Bounce have spoken about flow. When, it, when you hit your flow, it's almost as if you're gliding. And that is what happens, begins to happen in the norming stage and definitely uh, starts to just lift off in the performing stage where you've hit that point of just symphony. Every, everything is, is just clicked. There is a brilliant work-life balance, but there's also an exponential rise in, in success because everything you touch appears to to turn to gold. Um, If you lose it, it's worth you reviewing the structure once again to see whether, is it part of the structure which is letting you down? But once you gain it, maximize it.
0: Absolutely, And, and to that point, norming isn't just characterized by successes. You may be a team which has been put together to deal with crisis. You can still norm if your responsibility is to put out fires constantly. And there, there may not be any wins during that period, but it is just a case of doing your, your job or delivering in an almost fluid, seamless fashion as opposed to a disjointed or chaotic one. And as you said, one of the ways that you can manage that is having a good system of regular reflection. Where you are asking yourself on a regular basis, how are we doing? And does anything need to
1: change? Regimented... Sorry, go ahead. Regimented performance management. Um, Absolutely. I've seen in many many cases, many failing organisations, performance management does not occur. And when it does occur, it isn't worth the paper that it's written on. It's not a real exercise. Um which is a disservice to all the people involved. Because the person who is going to be led through that performance management actually deserves it in terms of their professional development. Uh, The person who's meant to be leading it also deserves it in terms of their professional development. How many leaders can you develop? But when it's not in place, it's it's just the ingredient for failure because there's just no accountability. Um.
0: I think we're, we're now moving into a step, stage where we're talking almost about not just what a norming team is or a team that's norming looks like, but also how do we get there. And I want to talk a little bit about what you've just said in terms of regimented performance management. Now, I get told off by my wife on a regular basis for equating our marriage to a business mm. and my argument around that, is that if it is. more people treated their marriages like businesses we probably would have a lower uh, divorce rate yes now she's got a point in terms of okay well we've got to have some of that other stuff like romance and stuff like that if, if you must but for me i'd say that if many people provided the same level of focus and discernment to their marriages or their relationships as they did to their careers then their relationships would be in a lot better place Um, and that regimented performance management piece is echoed in good relationships whether it's friendships or romantic ones Where you are asking yourself the question, how are we doing and how can we improve? Um, I would encourage everybody who's listening to this, who's also in a relationship, to ask that question on a regular basis and approach it like it's a business. Mm -hmm. How are we doing? And how can we improve? What measures can we put in place in order to increase our output or increase our happiness or increase our satisfaction? So if you need to look at it from a relationship standpoint in order for you to understand why this is such a valuable step, please do. Uh, as we said, we're going to be providing a lot of examples here. But for, but for you, Afalabi, in terms of moving away from that storming, chaotic, messy Uh, hectic stage into a well-oiled machine in the stage in the form of norming you've mentioned performance management as one of the key pillars of delivering that what else do you think allows teams to transition from storming into
1: norming there needs to be succinct and agreed measures of success Alongside that, there needs to be regular touch points where people are able to articulate where they are and why they are where they are. And moments in which every individual is encouraged to self-reflect and reflect upon their own practice. Just referring to those, those three steps. So the agreed measures of success is um, self-explanatory. And even though it is, it doesn't happen often, we can often fall into the trap, almost like in the marital example, of just believing that everything's going to be okay. It just happens. No, it doesn't. It doesn't just happen. Failure ju- just happens, but that' <laughs> <laughs> but the, the ingredients of that failure were seen throughout. There were milestones to that failure. So okay, what could the milestones to success be? Okay, this is what we wish to achieve on the route to get there, what would we expect to see? And as you go through that process, you might realize that every so often you might need to go back to elements of forming and storming because you might encounter um, scenarios which, oh, we are different, we're on the same trajectory, but this scenario has come up and it's exposed how different we are. Now, we still have that same unifying goal but right now we've gone, we've fallen back to the storming stage because there's severe conflict. Let's accept that and actually go back to, okay, forming what our our vision is based upon this. So acknowledging that one, there needs to be clear milestones for success. Two, regular meetings, one-to-one in terms of um, touch points, reflection, accountability. It can can be informally or formally, definitely formally for performance management so that someone actually feels as if they're being valued and being developed. These, these are critical. Once this happens, and there is a culture of this throughout, and everyone's been held accountable to it, and it's been systemized, and ideally the process of the performance management has been quality assured. And what I mean by that is, if there are 30 individuals, 300 individuals going through this process, the individuals who are leading them through this process Need to ensure that they're posing the same questions or they're following the same trajectory um my performance management meeting with X cannot be about purely about the sporting performance on the weekend whilst another person's performance management with person y it's about key metrics and what's being done et cetera et cetera and um, so to 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 normalize that, a framework needs to be built which is shared S- systems and structures systemize the approach, allow it to be that Everyone is actually doing what is expected to be done at the same time to the same level of quality. That over time ensures that the messages from the top, that vision from the top is continually being bought into because you might not have to do that large piece where one person standing in front of a thousand um, doing a rallying call because it's happening on a micro scale repeatedly throughout. These practices, for me, are, are key in terms of just shifting from that storming to that norming.
0: Once again, you 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 speak so fluently, and then there's you know so many little gems in there, so based on what you've said, I think people need to go back and listen to that section in particular. One of the things that I want to touch upon from what you've just said is the importance of understanding the corporate framework with which you are operating in. And another way of t- talking about that is simply your culture, your team's culture. And I think you you, you talked about that clearly. Um, and what I'd add to that is as a leader, as somebody who's trying to drive toward the norming state is people need to be intentional about their culture. Mm. Um, Your culture doesn't happen only when you want it to. Your culture will be occurring all of the time or developing all of the time. So there are many people who are currently operating within toxic cultures. I think over the last three or four years, We've had a few examples of companies that had developed a toxic culture. Now, that wasn't the aim of the CEO when he or she started that company. But over time, the culture has has formed its, its own personality. So you need to be intentional about your culture. If we take it back to a relationship, for example, if you're somebody who wants children when you're older and your partner or potential spouse doesn't want children, then that can't really work, can it? So the point I'm making there is that the people within the team and the people within your organization are the ones who form the culture. And if Mm -hmm. their ideas are different from what you have, then they will shape the culture if they have influence.
1: I would go as far as... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry, continue.
0: I was going to say, even if you, as a CEO, as a leader, are trying to steer it in one way, just by having people who oppose your culture, it takes it marginally away from your end goal, or in some cases significantly, Mm. because some of the people who um, have an impact on your culture can spread their ideas, almost like a virus. And then one person has an opposing culture and that leads to two, which leads to four, which leads to eight. So very quickly you can see how that culture can
1: shift away from what you were in, in, initially had in mind. Mm. Sorry, please continue. No, you were raising such a valuable point, such a valuable point to the point where I have, yes, the individual, the woman or the man at the very top is, is pivotal. Like, everything rises and falls on leadership. Read John Maxwell. However, he also reiterates that we're all leaders. And I've come to believe that middle leadership, now here's one of the wild statements, that middle leadership is more influential than senior leadership. And I've come to believe that because of that Pareto distribution, because of the fact that they have that face-to-face, hands-on contact with a lot of the people who are implementing what needs to be done who are on the ground. And if they have not bought into your vision at the very top, they are driving a very different vision. They're driving something. So your influence of them um, throughout history some people have called it the talented tenths, whether it's uh um, praise or distribution, whoever it is, identifying who those key middle leaders are and ensuring that they that you are working alongside them and modeling to them your culture and your vision will help them do it to the others the The better they are upskilled and poured into, the more they can do it to those below them, because that will be all that they know. Um, if you're finding a, a terrible middle leader again, controversial statement, you have to look upwards to who's led them over a period of time, because they might be just regurgitating what they have been exposed to. And that's if you really want to drive change, look at that middle leadership, ensure that middle leadership is tight. Um, In society, often these are managers. Um, It could be store managers, it could be department managers, faculty managers, um, the centre managers, but these are the individuals who they make the difference. The better they are, the best organisation. And
0: just just to kind of touch on that point, I think it's a really good one, which is You may be a manager or even a senior manager at work and, as a result, be quite comfortable with your responsibilities. However, be aware that now that you have this level of responsibility, you've also got an increased level of scrutiny. Your job is more likely to go than somebody below you. Because if a new leader, CEO, comes into role, comes into position, then... As a result of them wanting to change the culture, they will look at people like you and say, you are somebody who is influential Mm. and I don't like your influence. Potentially. And as a result, your job is more at risk than somebody who they believe can be molded or pushed into a different direction.
1: To exemplify that, and I just buttress that point. I'm currently in the forming stage, and all of my meetings are with middle leaders, intentionally. Because those on the ground who are pivotal, I know that the best way to influence them is to influence their line managers, the middle leaders. I need to identify where the middle leaders are, what what their beliefs, what their attitudes are, what their practices are. And I need to get them to buy into my moral purpose, my vision, and understand what could be achieved. Once that happens with that one individual, that one middle leader, the three or the 13 that they lead will improve. And,
0: and you also see that in you know some financial services companies where every year the bottom 5% um, go. So... These not necessarily um, leaders, but it's the people who are identified as the, the worst performing people. And the aim is literally to shift the culture into a different direction. Um, just to give you some practical examples of how you can in, um, intentionally deliver a culture, have a team charter. Make sure that the team charter is co-developed. So don't just as a leader say, this is what we are going to do. Everybody sign up. Co-develop the team charter with your team and say, what do you think a good looking team or a good performing team should look like? And can we all agree that these are the principles that we will embody? Um, The next step would be to have a mission and a vision which you can share with everybody, something that galvanizes Mm -hmm. people. And once again, I think there's a lot of pressure on leaders to be inspirational. You don't have to be the inspirational person as a leader. You could just hire the inspirational person and have them translate your words for you. Yep. So have a think about how you can develop an inspirational visual vision for the future. And then the last thing I would say in terms of being intentional about your culture is recruit and replace. There are some people that you are going to come across, as we've mentioned, who just don't fit into your ways of working. And the best thing you can do is give them an opportunity to work somewhere else where their quirky or <laughs> unconventional view um, is accepted. Or it may be the other way around where they've got a particularly straight-laced approach and you, your culture is all about innovation and disruption. So somebody who is trying to always get you to follow the rules uh, is just gonna slow you down. So mm. once again, if, if you realize that there are individuals who don't meet your culture, it's best to move on and find somebody else who does. And we personally have had experience of that where we've recruited and replaced and recruited and replaced and are finally in a position, I think, where we've got a team who works effectively together. But that's come from various iterations. For me, the final thing I would say about being intentional... Sorry, please go ahead. No, iterations and pain. Go for it. A lot of pain. (laughs) Um, The final thing I would say about being intentional about your culture is simply the importance of self-awareness and self-esteem. So what do I mean about self-awareness? Well, we've talked about the Destiny's Child example. The idea there is that everybody in the team knows their role and is comfortable in their role. They've looked at their strengths and weaknesses. They've gathered understanding of the strengths and weaknesses of the people around them and are playing their position. They are no longer trying to be the lead singer when the lead singer's role has clearly been cemented. They are no longer trying to be the inspirational manager when the inspirational manager's role has been cemented they're no longer trying to be the analytical insightful person when that role has already been taken up they have Mm -hmm. found their niche and they are in it now the self-esteem part is they now understand that the role that they have which may not be the role that they wanted but the role that they have is valuable and as a result are delivering on that role And that's a challenge because if you have people who do not believe their responsibilities are of value, then they are going to be constantly looking for other things to do or looking to leave. So, the challenge there as an individual is to find a clear understanding of your own strengths and weaknesses so Mm -hmm. that you can understand your role and then develop the self esteem, develop the confidence. And this might need counseling, it might need therapy for you to understand that what you offer is of value as long as you are offering something from the other side as a leader it is your role to ensure that everybody in the team feels valued because if somebody doesn't feel like they are valued within the team then they they will go elsewhere and football is a great example of that because you constantly see very skilled players in very good teams looking to leave to go to less skilled teams or less successful teams because at least there, they will be valued. You see people leaving relationships with qualified, successful partners to join relationships or to start relationships with less successful partners, however you want to measure success, because the less successful partner Values them. So, once again, if, if you look at Michelle um, uh, from Destiny's Child, there may have been people whispering in her, in her ear that she could go and start a group and be the lead singer herself. Yes. Because she was a very talented person. She had years of experience as a gospel singer, etc. What are you doing being the Michelle of Destiny's Child? <laughs> that, that is now a verb that we all... All, all understand all, all understand but when you have self-esteem when you have confidence in your role then i think it's a lot more easy for you to not only deliver high value within that
1: role but also enjoy it wow it it, it does all center on leadership once again it's, it's incredible there where on many of those instances Over-communicating listening is pivotal. Mm. Modeling the language of fallibility is crucial. Um, Embracing the messenger, um, you might be in that norming stage where conflict is being brought to you. And you're like, no, 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 no. We've gone through the conflict now. There's no more conflict, we are at peace. Embrace the messenger. There might be still instances where you need to go back to that storming stage because again, you are moving now it's like a, a, a new horizon, and you are going to uncharted territory with this new team, and thus this new team might not address challenges which you have addressed in the past in the same way. So embracing the person who's bringing that message of this is not working well, even if you think actually this shouldn't be a problem, overdoing the thank yous for that individual who is playing that Michelle role, um, Acknowledge who is actually playing a role exceptionally, but could do another role, but isn't actually doing that other role. Let them know that they are valued. Um, Matching recruitment to values. It is likely that within that Destiny's Child model, they had to actually acknowledge, okay, we can only have one lead singer. We can only have one captain here. Otherwise, this is not going to work. We've got the raw ingredients to do something incredible, but there can only be one Steve Jobs. Okay, there's two Steves. Right. One of us has to play the background role. Yep. Wasn't it played a background role? And it worked. Um, everyone has a voice. There's, I remember one senior leader once saying to me that he explicitly picked up litter. And I'd seen him do it. So when he said it to me, um, it, it was very true. And when he told me about it, then I realized that this is very intentional because it does set that culture. Because if he's doing that, similar to the, the guest we had a couple of weeks ago, if, if, if the CEO is mopping their office floor, why aren't you? And it's that intentionality, which is, is, is critical in all relationships. Um, I'm, I was overjoyed. I think my highlight this week was yesterday when my, my son said, oh, this is marvelous. I was like, yes, we got it. Because for the past year we've gone from amazing to incredible to marvelous, where I'm like a a robot parrot just repeating these words to him so that he's not saying good. So he, okay, he mastered amazing. Now okay, now I'm gonna describe our noodles as incredible, and he he repeats it to me, looking me deep in my eye, trying to get that affirmation. Like daddy, this is incredible, isn't it? Like yeah, this is incredible. Our noodles, um, and now he's saying it's marvelous. That that intentionality leads to repetition it develops a culture so pick up litter
0: (laughs) i love that and that could be the title of a book pick up litter um we've spoken a lot about norming um and next week we'll be talking about the final phase or depending on how you look at it, it could be the um uh the penultimate phase, uh, performing. But the key characteristic between, uh, for getting from norming to performing is something that I would call continuous improvement. Yes. And as somebody who has worked in well-oiled functioning teams that didn't always like each other, I'd just like you to finish on... What steps, do you, the steps that you took in order to ensure that continuous improvement was always
1: something that was considered? Simply put, and this was taught to me um, by a woman who I think at the same time laughed either at me or at what I was saying. Um, I was speaking to a woman who currently oversees all of the schools in a borough. Um, she is just a highly credited, incredible. And there was a time when I was presenting an initiative to her and I stated, well, this would occur at a random moment to which she looked at me and laughed and said, (laughs) nothing here is random. Everything is planned. Everything is intentional. And what we need to plan for is the pursuit of marginal gains. Marginal gains is the key because when you're in certain environments, uh, there was one book which described it as winning by a nose the idea the, the sporting analogy of you're, you're running a race and you have the 100 meter runners who are now diving at, at the finish line because they know that they could win by a hairline in football now we have var the goal could be offside by a toe these marginal gains are what separates the outstanding from the good there's jim collins good to great and it's all it's marginal gains the exceptional are pursuing those 0.5, that 1% increase. And that could be done in terms of, um, if they will go on a residential, they just, they're they're away. They're going to reflect on every possible item, which could be just abandoned or every possible initiative, which could be tweaked or improved or every possible idea, that brainstorming. Just that relentless and that scientific review of what is currently being done and how it's being done for marginal gains. That is it. That's something which you can't do in the forming and the storming stage because the gains shouldn't be marginal. They should be considerate because you're not at that stage of being elite. But when you are elite and you're trying to improve your 100-meter... Personal best by 0.02 seconds It's marginal gains You're making massive changes In terms of Okay, I now only eat spinach and not lettuce Because of some form of scientific suggestion For a 0.2% increase Marginal gains
0: I think that's going to be my takeaway For this week the difference between a good leader and a great leader is that a great leader takes responsibility for everything. Mm. Everything. Bruv, I've enjoyed this. Um, I just said, bruv, I haven't said that in so long. I don't know what's happened to me. I think I'm um, taking steps backwards in my vocabulary being in lockdown. It's, it's changed but the world. <laughs> it really has. Um, I really enjoyed this and I really hope that the listeners have taken some value away from this discussion. How about you? How about you, listener? Um, Have you worked in a high-performing team, a team that is working like a well-oiled machine? Did something go wrong? What went wrong and what do you think could have changed as a result? Um, Are you constantly in a storming phase? Do you feel like you never got out of that storming phase and you have never really understood how to transition into norming or did you have an epiphany which allowed you to actually say okay all i need to do is change x and now we are working like a well-oiled machine whatever your experience we'd love to hear from you so feel free to get in touch and tell us how you're getting on um this has been uh, another episode of expensive lessons where company directors share with you the lessons that they've picked up over there in some cases painful um Hashtag WeaponX uh, experiences. Yes. And we really hope that you have a great week and have gained something from this discussion. Take care.
1: Thank you all. Have a
0: great one.